Welcome to the Desert City Church podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. You're about to hear a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. Our desire is to follow Jesus, love others well, and experience the life that is truly life. These sermons help form us into the kind of people God created us to be. With grace and patience, we live with hope-filled lives here in Phoenix. We hope this message inspires you. If you have any questions or things we can pray for, feel free to reach out to us at info at desertcitychurch.com. So we are going to put uh, the Gospel of Mark on hold uh, for a little bit and, uh, and, and jump into a new series today. Um, life has been disrupted. And if, if you're like me, you're trying to gather uh, information on uh, what's going on and make wise decisions. And uh, so I, I want to go through a series today that's, that's all about wisdom. Um, if you're like me, you, you have uh, a lot of kind of fear of the uncertainty um, and I want to talk today uh, about faith that overcomes fear. And so this is a series that I've been kind of putting off for a while, um, but, it, but I, I've known I've wanted to go, go through it. And I feel like in this cultural moment, it's a good time uh, to go through this series. And the series is about wisdom. It's about faith. It's one of the wisdom uh, books of the New Testament. And it was written by a man named James. James, who was the brother of Jesus, uh, the half-brother of Jesus, uh, one of the prominent figures in the early church. He led the church in Jerusalem, and uh, it is an interesting uh, story. Uh, as he was Jesus' brother, he didn't necessarily buy into Jesus right away. Um, growing up with Jesus, you can imagine if your brother's saying that he's the Son of God, there's probably all sorts of you know skepticism about it. Even as he was experiencing Jesus do all these different miraculous things, we we find out that James actually started to really buy in right around the time of Jesus' death, um, and uh, and part of that was because he saw Jesus rise from the dead. And so all of a sudden he has this buy-in where he says Jesus truly is who he said uh, he was. And, uh, and so James is all in. He becomes one of the leaders of the church. And so he writes this letter um, that is just full of wisdom and just uh, the, the practicality of faith that I think is really good for us in this moment. So if you want to open up to James chapter 1, we'll start there. Um, so we should have, I think, the words up on the screen um, so you can read along with us. But James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. So this is how he opens up with uh, uh, this introduction. It says, uh, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Uh, 12 tribes, what he's talking about here are God's people. And there's all sorts of speculation what this means. Uh, But he's he's writing to the the people of Jesus, the people of God, um, the church. And it says that they're scattered. I love that word, that they're scattered among the nations. Um, One translation said he's writing to the the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Um, What's probably happened here in in James uh, is that this book was one of the first books that's written in the early church. We think it was written probably in the 40s. And uh, and if you uh, uh, know some of the New Testament, um, so much of the story of the New Testament is just covered in the book of Acts. And uh, in in Acts uh, chapter 2, we have this day of Pentecost where something like 3,000 men uh, come to Jesus. And then like the next chapter, you have like 5,000 men that come to Jesus. um, And and there's this explosion of the church. And that's just counting the men. So if you're counting like the spouses and the children, and if this early church is anything like Desert City, there's probably something like 20,000, right, uh, people gathered here who are Jesus followers. And then in Acts chapter 7, uh, we have this crazy story about this man named Stephen, 
uh, who gets stoned, who gets basically martyred. And the church from there goes from like all this momentum and all this huge gathering to just being scattered. And they, they are just kind of sent all over the world. Um, they're, they're dispersed. And as James is writing, he's writing to a church that has been scattered and a church that has been persecuted. And when I think about the moment that we are in right now, this word scattered seems to just fit, right? Like we are kind of scattered everywhere. We can't congregate together. And, uh, and so we are dispersed. We're, we're meeting kind of all over the city. Um, and James is writing to this church and he's saying uh, to those who are scattered, uh, everywhere. Now, James, uh, as he's writing, uh, he's writing about this idea of, of wisdom, how to live wisely, um, but also he's writing about faith, uh, faith that leads to fruit. So everything is about like a faith that counts, a faith that leads to works, a faith that uh, is expressed in how we live life now. And so the way that this breaks down is that chapter one is faith that is shown by trials, which is what we're going to talk about today. Chapter two um, has to do with faith that is shown by our works. Chapter three has, uh, is faith that is shown by our words. And my guess is if you're like my family, uh, three weeks from now, the cabin fever might be kicking in. The words that we use uh, expresses something about uh, our love for each other and our love for Jesus. Uh, so I think that'll be fitting. Uh, chapter four is faith that is shown by humility. Uh, chapter five is faith that is shown in patient suffering, not trusting the riches and comfort of this world. And then chapter uh, five again ends with faith that is shown by effectual prayer for the sick. So James is writing uh, to this church that has been kind of dispersed and scattered. And he's writing to encourage Christians uh, in an increasingly hostile environment to live lives dependent on uh, God and not to give themselves over to the presumed comforts of this world. They would have faith in what is eternal and faith that would play out in a practical way. So today we're going to talk about this idea that how faith is shown through trials. Uh, verse 2, let's keep going. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So James starts out writing to this church that's been scattered, this church that is living in times of uncertainty, and he says this, Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Not consider it joy if you face trials. Consider it joy whenever you face trials. So the first kind of observation we have is that if you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to experience trials. Trials will come. Uh, and it doesn't say if, it says when. And it's interesting, he says, to, to, to approach these trials joyfully. Now, joyful doesn't mean you have to be happy. Like, happiness is based on, you know, feelings and emotions and circumstances. Joy is this fruit of the Spirit. It's, it comes to us in the midst of hard times because we know where our hope is, because we have this eternal perspective on life, and we know that we have this sovereign God who is with us. And so we, we face these trials with this joyful kind of hope of something is going on here, something is happening. And he says that trials will come. The trials will come. Um, I am a millennial with gray hair. So I, uh, yes, I'm, uh, I was born in 82. Um, I'm one of the oldest millennials, and I already have gray hair. Um, let me tell you a little bit about my adult life. So the trials, uh, tri here, here, I, when I went to college, 
first month that I was in college, 9-11 happened. So finally get away from my parents, out on my own, first month away from home, 9-11 hits. 20 years later, we're still feeling kind of uh, the ramifications of that event. Um, get through college, get married, uh, and buy a house in 2006, probably the worst year in history to buy a home. What happens there, mortgage crisis, bottom drops out of the market, and it's taken you know, 10, 12 years to kind of yeah, pull out of that to, to kind of back to where we were to like you know, a month ago. Um, in that time, my wife and I had uh, four children over the last 12 years, so I haven't slept in 12 years, and, uh, and I had an appendectomy, my wife had a C-section four times, so we, we both have gone through a lot of physical stuff, right? And um, yes, and so, uh, and, and now we have this coronavirus. So like, like my adult life, yes, trials, it's not if, it's when. I got in, uh, into a conversation with someone on Twitter the other day, and they're Gen X, right? And they're like, come on, you haven't gone through anything. They're like, you don't know how scary life is unless you're a teenager in the 1980s. And there's this kind of like constant threat of thermonuclear war. And I, and I think like every generation probably says, like we've had these devastating things that have happened, these catastrophic events, these trials that we have lived. It's all kind of like relative, right? Um, there's this older guy in our church. Many of you know him. His name is Hal Lincoln. And uh, Hal is about to turn 80 years old. Um, we used to think Hal was an angel. Um, we've realized that he is human. Uh, but we have donuts with Hal every Friday morning in this men's group. And um, if you follow Hal's life, what you find is that every decade there are these trials that come. And like his life, like when you hear his story, it's like a Pepsi commercial, you know, where they like dance through the decades. But like his life is like trials through the decades where you just hear story after story of what he's gone through from like the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. He says he doesn't remember the 60s and then the 70s and the 80s. And like you, you hear all these stories. I remember we were having donuts like uh, I think it was like two weeks ago and I was just looking across at him like hearing his story and I'm like how are you still alive? Like what you have gone through is just amazing. You need to write a book about your life. Like trials are they just come like we go through trials. Those are things that are expected. James is saying, whenever you face trials. My favorite podcaster is this man named Dan Carlin. He just wrote a book that I'm reading. It's a very great read for this kind of moment that we're in. Uh, it's called The End is Always Near. And it's all about like apocalyptic moments from like the Bronze Age collapse to nuclear near misses. And like all throughout history, trials come. We experience trials. And we are in the midst right now of a really difficult trial. What's happening right now is it is a disruption and it's scary. We're already starting to hear uh, stories of people in our church that are being affected by this. People who've lost jobs who can no longer work in their vocation uh, because that job has just dried up. Uh, people who, who own businesses that are, 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 are making these tough decisions on how to pay employees and not let the whole thing collapse around them. People who have huge investments um, that they're on the brink of losing everything. People who have gotten emails saying your job is okay through the end of this month and then we can't promise you anything after that. We have a lot of women in our church that are expecting babies right now and I was talking with uh, a guy yesterday his wife's expecting like in a month and when you think about it, we have no idea like the condition of the hospitals what those are going to be like a month out just the anxiety that these expecting moms uh, feel with everything that is happening uh, right now. We have other people who have pre-existing health conditions and they're high at risk. Like there's like the moment that we are in right now, there, there is great, this is a great 
trial. We can, we can acknowledge that there's reason to be fearful. There's reason to be confused. And yet at the same time, here's what I have learned about these trials. When James is saying, consider it pure joy, what we find from scripture and what we find from history is that when the trials are great, it means that God is on the move. God is on the move right now. He's doing something. And James knows that these followers of Jesus can know that God is moving in the midst of these difficult circumstances. And two things will happen. And I believe, I believe that these, these are two things that God is doing. He's, one is he wants to do something in you. He wants to do something in your heart, in your soul in this time. And he wants to do it in a mighty way. And two is that he wants to do something through you in the midst of this. God is on the move in the midst of trials, and he often does his best work in the most difficult times. And, and throughout history, the church often shines the most in the world's darkest moments. We're in the midst of a trial. Trials come. Trials are here. And yet God is on the move. Here's the second thing that we learn is that not only will trials come, but as followers of Jesus, we view trials as a pathway to maturity. We view trials as a pathway to maturity. In the midst of trials, we grow. In the midst of trials, we bloom. In the midst of trials, our worlds are expanded and open to what God wants to do in us. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, right before Lent started, I started to realize that I was really letting myself go, my body. Like, not only have I got gray hair, but like, I used to be an athlete. And I am like struggling just breathing, you know, because I got through the holidays. And so I went to a guy in our church named Matt Buker. Some of you know Matt Buker from Modern Athlete. And I said, Matt, help me, save me. I need help. And so he put me on this like uh, strict diet and this workout like regime. And so like I used to do this all the time. I haven't worked out hard in like 20, like 12, 20, 10 years. How old am I? Like 10 years. Um, and the first week into this new like diet and workout, um, I thought I was going to die. Like I was in so much pain. I remember I came to church on a Sunday. No one knew this, but Tim, I was in so much pain after working out for a week. I was like sick. I thought I was going to throw up just from the pain. I had to like run to Albertsons and get a couple like power bars just to get protein into me. And uh, I was hurting. And if you know about how like the body works, the science behind working out, um, when you break your muscles down, when you tear them in the midst of that pain, that's how they heal and they come back stronger, right? There's no pain, no gain. And, and over like the next two weeks, I could feel my body healing and getting stronger. But it was when it was going through the, the, the stretching of those muscles, the tearing of those muscles, that growth happened. Uh, and, uh, and then I had to like pause everything because now we're not allowed to go to the gym anymore. But um, working out, like I, when we grow when we are stretched, we grow when we are challenged, we grow when we are pushed. My daughter Lila is three and like probably two or three nights a week, she'll get up just screaming because her legs hurt. She has these growing pains, um, but she's growing and it's painful, but we're excited she's growing. Well, it's hard, Marcy's like, you know, uh, grieving it because our little Lila's growing up. But, but part of her, we don't want her to just stay a three-year-old forever, um, but, but for her to grow, like her body, it hurts her legs. She has these growing pains. Um, one of the things about like these, these moments of trials, how God is doing something inside of us, 
uh, maturing us. Uh, one of my dad's mentors wrote this book called When Nothing Seems to Go Right. He was a pastor and talks about like these trials that come. And he was saying like he was teaching this class in his church somewhere in Florida. And um, he was talking about how uh, God is light and in God is no darkness. And he had someone who, who was in the class that came up and said, like, is darkness always bad? And he's like, well, according to that verse, you know, God is light. There is no darkness. And she said, well, my dad owns a greenhouse and, you know, we grow these plants. And uh, there's, there's some plants that, that, uh, that need darkness, actually. Like, we think plants just need sunlight, but, but plants also need darkness. Like with chrysanthemums, mums, uh, uh, these flowers, uh, they actually mature in the darkness. And so we've realized that we can make these plants bloom by, by bloom early by, by covering them up with these dark blankets, like at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon, because in the midst of the darkness, maturity happens. In the midst of the darkness, these plants, uh, something inside of the plants matures so that they can bloom at the right time. In the midst of these trials, there are secrets that we will learn in this season that you can only learn in the midst of going through the trials, that you can only learn in the darkness. And part of this is our own maturity. This is something that is growing, that God is doing in us in the midst of our difficult situations. Are we open to that? A.W. Tozer, uh, in his book, Pass the Power, has this quote about this idea that God God is doing something in us, developing a maturity in the midst of the trials. This is kind of a long quote, um, but I want to read it. And again, it's about, um, it's kind of about this agrarian farming. But let's, here's what the quote says. The fallow field is smug. Fallow is this unplanted field. Is smug, contented, protected from the shock of the plow and the agitation of the harrow being broken up. Such a field as it lies, year after year, becomes a familiar landmark to the crow and the blue jay. It sounds so nice, right? Safe and undisturbed, it sprawls lazily in the sunshine, the picture of sleepy contentment. But it is paying a terrible price for its tranquility. Never does it see the miracle of growth. Never does it feel the motions of mounting life nor see the wonders of bursting seed, nor the beauty of ripening grain. Fruit it can never know because it is afraid of the plow and the harrow. In direct opposite of this, the cultivated field has yielded itself to the adventure of living. And the protecting fence has opened to admit the plow and the plow has come as plows always come. Practical, cruel, businesslike, and in a hurry. Peace has been shattered by the shouting farmer and the rattle of machinery. And the field has felt the travail of change. It has been upset, turned over, bruised and broken, but its rewards come hard upon its labors. The seed shoots up into the daylight, its miracle of life, curious, exploring the new world above it. And all over the field, the hand of God is at work in the age-old, ever-renewed service of creation. New things are born to grow, mature, consummate the grand prophecy latent in the seed when it entered the ground. Nature's wonders follow the plow. Nature's wonders follow the plow. We are in the midst of, of a disturbed, disrupted, uh, it, 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 it's... 
it feels like almost like the, this, this cultural earthquake has hit. It's rocked us. It's like a plow coming to a field that is just turning up the undisturbed dirt. And yet at the same time, there is something that I think God is doing here. Because for us, for the follower of Jesus, the trials, what they actually are is this a pathway to growth and maturity. Where we are going to experience new things, new life, growth as followers of Jesus. The third thing is that trials help me be consciously aware of my need for God. Trials help me be consciously aware of my need for God. And I think this is important because we live in a culture where we find life and fulfillment in everything outside of God. And those things always leave us unfulfilled, exhausted, weary. Life comes from abiding with Christ. And it's in moments like this that some of the stuff that we have just put all of our hope in, put all of our identity in, just falls apart. And we're reminded that there's something that is truly valuable in this life, our relationship with God, our relationship with the people around us. We're driven back to the feet of God in desperation, and that is where true life is found. It talks about this idea of we get to this moment where we, we, we realize we're lacking something and we ask God for wisdom. I think when we get in moments of, like, of fear like this, we were reminded that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Eugene Peterson says this about wisdom. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever conditions we find ourselves in. The art of living skillfully in whatever conditions we find ourselves in. As we come to God's feet, we ask for wisdom. We ask in this prayer, Lord, teach us to live wisely in the midst of these unfamiliar, uncertain circumstances. And I think that God wants to do something uh, in the midst of these circumstances, doing something in us, doing something through us, that this scattered church would joyfully persevere in the midst of trials, so that we may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Verse 12, James goes on to say, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. The crown of life. There's so much more going on here. There's this eternal story that we are a part of. God is at work doing the work in our heart and in our soul. Are we open to what he has for us in the midst of this difficult situation, knowing that God is with us, that he's doing something here and now? It's hard to just uh, to slow down and to stop in a season like this and say, Lord, I just want to learn from you. I just want to be at your feet. I think of like two seasons of my life that were extremely uh, dark and challenging. I look back at them very thankful for what God did. I experienced God in those seasons like no other time. But there's lessons that could be missed in the midst, in the midst of these kind of seasons as well. And one of the things that uh, we want to do um, that, that I think would be helpful is we have an activity planned on our website. It's called the Prayer of Examine. And I would love to just challenge our people this week to go through this Prayer of Examine. There's about seven steps to just slow down, to be in tune with God's Spirit, to realize that trials are here. We're in the midst of something that's really difficult. There's things that need to be grieved. There's things that we need to be aware that we're not just like Pollyanna, like going, this is a really challenging time. And at the same time, we want to be open to what God is doing in us, 
and through us, how God is growing us to maturity, how God is with us. God is doing something in us and through us. So if you, uh, you get a chance to this week, you can find the link for the prayer of examine on our website. And we'd love for you to spend some time going through that, open up a journal, um, go through those activities. The band's going to come back up and we're going to spend some time uh, just in worship and prayer. Our faith is shown in the midst of trials. My prayer today is that you would joyfully, not necessarily happily, but joyfully approach this season knowing that there's some gifts that will be given from God to us. There's some new things that will be created in our households, our families, our marriages, as we slow down and are present for each other. That we would love God, that we love others, that we would trust in who God is and what he's doing. Let's pray. Lord, thanks so much for this day. We thank you again for technology. We thank you for disruptions. They're not things that we always like. But we know that you're working through them. Lord, we pray for your peace today. That we would be reminded that you are with us in the midst of the fire, that you are with us in the midst of the storm, and that these trials that we are facing, these trials that seem like they might be getting worse before they get better, these trials that uh, are devastating in many ways, that we're a part of a story of eternity, that you are at work in us, that you do a good work inside of us, Lord, that you would use us for the good. Lord, give us wisdom in this season. Let us be steadfast and faithful. We love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.